0: You're listening to audio from Grace Family Church. If you'd like to explore more resources or give to our ministry, please visit us at gracepsl.org. All right, let's open our Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 1. This morning we're going to begin a new study about Jesus, who He is and what He has done. And one of the ways that the Bible reveals Jesus, Jesus to us is through the Old Testament offices of prophet priest and king and that's the title of this new series jesus christ prophet priest and king and this morning what we're going to do is start by kind of uh uh looking at a very broad yet comprehensive overview of kind of where we are headed for this series next week we'll look specifically at jesus the prophet jesus the priest the following week and after that the king but um start this morning. I kind of want to give you what I, what I hope happens over the next four or six weeks in an illustration. Recently, um, Violet completed a, a paint-by-number portrait that was given to her uh, for Christmas by our son-in-law, Tyson. And the, the pattern printed on the canvas was actually taken from a photo of Violet and I walking down a road in Mercer Orchards in Blue Ridge, Georgia. And the pattern was very intricate and had lots of lines on it. Lots of little small spaces that it's so small you needed a magnifying glass to see them. And um, when Violet first started it, I thought this is never going to look like the photo. It was just a bunch of squiggly lines and and again these numbers within these little things are so small you can hardly see them. So many different colors, about 24, 25 different colors, but as Violet progressed day by day, that canvas slowly but surely became the portrait that looked like the picture. It all came together, and I was absolutely amazed, and after Violet brushed a final stroke, we hung it on the wall. There's the before, the picture, and there's the portrait. I call her my little Picasso. All right, that's the illustration. Now, here's why I told you that. In a similar way, I hope that this series will do the same for you. What do I mean by that? I pray that your understanding of Jesus as prophet, priest, and king will connect the dots for you and will fill in the spaces for you with the colors of God so that you can see a more complete portrait of Jesus so that you have a fresh. Vision of Jesus, and that would in turn deepen your worship and your love for Him. So, as we begin, let me fair, share with you five things you need to know about the biblical paradigm of prophet, priest, and king from now on, signified by PPK. First of all, prophet, priest, and king is revealed first in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament of the Old Covenant, God related to his people through three divinely instituted offices, the prophet, the priest, and the king. The prophet represented the people before God. The priest represented, excuse me, the prophet represented God to the people. The priest represented the people to God. And the king represented God's rule over the people. Another way of saying it is the prophet spoke the word of the Lord to the people, the priest offered sacrifices to God on behalf of the people and the king governed and protected the people. Each of them was commissioned to serve by God through uh, an anointing with uh, the pouring out of oil on them. It was a symbol that they had been particularly gifted by God to fulfill those roles. Now this model, this paradigm revealed in the Old Testament was fulfilled by Jesus in the New Testament in His earthly ministry. Because in spite of the anointing of God on those Old Testament prophets, priests, and kings, they were simply mere men. And therefore, imperfectly fulfilled their offices. Sometimes the prophets were false and they corrupted God's message. Other times, priests just went through the motions and most of the time, the kings ruled unjustly and only served themselves. But in spite of their human weaknesses, God used them. But even more, God ordained these three offices prophet, priest, and king, to be a foreshadowing of an ultimate prophet, priest, and king. Jesus Christ, otherwise known as the Anointed One or the Messiah. And everything Jesus did in His earthly ministry fell into one of these three categories, prophet, priest, or king. But prophet, priest, and king is not only something Jesus fulfilled in His earthly ministry. It's something that He continues to exemplify in His heavenly ministry ascended into heaven. Jesus was and is and always will be forever and ever and ever the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. So understanding these offices will greatly help us more fully understand who Jesus is right now and what He's doing for us right now and what He will do for us in the future we'll see how each one of these offices of Christ addresses our deepest human needs. The three needs, cleansing, acceptance, and glory. Those are the three deepest human needs. Christ addresses them all to know God, to be in right relationship with God, and eventually to be restored to the glory that God intended for us from the very beginning. But the prophet, priest, and king paradigm will also help us understand more fully what he has called us to do. Because as it turns out, the offices of prophet, priest, and king are something that he shares with all believers, with his body. When we believe in Jesus, we become a part of the body of Christ and united with Christ in such a way that we share in his righteousness. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. We share in His Sonship. We're all sons of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Galatians 3. We share in His inheritance. We are co-heirs together with Christ. But we also share in these ministries of prophet, priest, and king. Because like a prophet, He's called us to speak the truth of the Gospel to the world around us. To declare it. To herald it like a prophet. Like a priest, He's called us to come before Him in worship and bring others before Him in inaccessory prayer. And like kings, He's called us to resist the enemy, stand firm in the full armor of God, and one day, when His kingdom fully comes, we will, Scripture says, reign with Him as kings and priests. So there's a sense in in which we all share in Christ's ministry of prophet, priest, and king, but there's also a sense in which Christian husbands and fathers uniquely share in it. Prophet, priest, and king is a model for husbands and fathers. It's a model that enables and guides men on how to spiritually lead their wives and families. We often say, men, you just need to be the spiritual leader of your home. But how do you do that? Prophet, priest, and king gives us the model. Now, guys, you're not the prophet. You're you're not the priest. And you're not the king. Only Jesus can be those things. You cannot replace Him, but you absolutely must imitate Him. And you do that through this prophet, priest, and king paradigm. In it, we find the model of how a husband and father is to lead and love his wife and family as Christ leads and loves the body of Christ. And that is going to be the topic at our second annual men's conference we're calling it as For Me and My House Men's Conference. It's February 24th, the last Saturday of this month from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. Brunch provided. You've got to sign up though. It's free. There's no cost. And you can do that at gracepsl.org. You can do it on the Church Center app or you can do it at the events booth. And because we will be using this prophet, priest, and king model to explain how a husband and father is to lead it, it behooves you Gentlemen, to be here every Sunday in February as we work our way through this series. And if you are out of town, unable to be here because you're ill or for some other reason, you can watch and listen to the messages again on the website, the app, or on Spotify or iTunes. All right, here we go. Are you ready? That's the preliminary. Here we go. Now we're diving. The origin. Where does this all come from? Well, when sin entered the world through the first Adam, Humanity became blind to the truth of God. Guilty before the presence of God. And enslaved by a false god, Satan. And this is why humanity needed a second Adam. A second representative. A second federal head. A righteous prophet to open up our eyes to God's truth. A priest to cleanse us from our sin. And a king to conquer death and satan on our behalf in the old testament this person was revealed as the messiah now after the fall god announced that one of eve's offspring the seed of the woman would be that messiah and he would crush the head of the serpent or satan who introduced adam and eve to sin in the garden sometime later when eve has her first son she says I have gotten that man from the Lord. She thought Cain was the Messiah. Greatly disappointed she was. Obviously he was not. Not her second son either. Abel was not the Messiah. No, no, no. It would be years and years and years before the Messiah would come on the scene. In the meantime though, As the narrative of the Old Testament unfolds, God temporarily met the need for a single Messiah through three offices, prophet, priest, and king. Again, the prophets proclaimed to the people, thus says the Lord. The priests presented the sacrifices on behalf of the people. The kings protected and governed the people. Each, in a limited way, was anointed by God for that task. David was anointed king. Aaron was anointed priest. Elisha was anointed prophet. They were all anointed for their role. And they served the purpose. But ultimately, they were not the Messiah. Collectively, though, all these prophet, priests, and kings were a foreshadowing of the future Messiah who would fulfill the prophet, priest, and king paradigm perfectly. Many centuries later, God sent John the Baptist to prepare the people to receive the Messiah that God had promised in the garden. One day, during the height of John's ministry, Jesus comes to John and asks to be baptized. It was a stunning request. Because John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, and repentance is for sinners. Then why does Jesus ask to be baptized? It wasn't because he needed repenting. It was because He was so identifying with the human race that He takes their baptism. As He comes out of the water, He is anointed, not as a man with oil, like the Old Testament prophet, priest, and king, but anointed by God with the Holy Spirit. And as the Spirit descends upon Him in the form of a dove, God says from heaven, this is My Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So at that very moment of Jesus' baptism, he was anointed by the Spirit, commissioned by the Father for his public ministry, thus fulfilling the messianic promise of many Old Testament Scriptures, not the least of which is Psalm chapter 2. Psalm, the psalmist writes in chapter 2, Why did the nations conspire? and the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and His anointed. They, even, they had globalists back then too. Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. What were they saying? We don't want to live under His authority. We don't want to live under His or their rule. Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. Now the One enthroned in Heaven laughs. You think you're going to do that? The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in His anger and terrifies them in His wrath, saying, I have installed My King on Zion, My holy mountain. Now, the narration switches from the Lord to the Anointed One. The Anointed One says, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to Me, You are My Son. Same thing as in Matthew 3. Today I have become your Father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. This was a foretelling of that moment, that one day in the river Jordan when Christ is anointed by the Holy Spirit. This unique Heaven sent anointing by the Father through the Spirit upon the humanity of the Son identified Him as the promised one, the anointed one foretold in Psalm 2, who came to rescue the nations from their rebellion. In the Old Testament, anointed one is translated from the Hebrew word, Mashiach, Messiah in the English. In the New Testament, anointed one is translated from the Greek word, Christos, or Christ, so you know now, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's His title. It's His title. It says, every time you say Messiah, every time you say Christ, you are saying prophet, priest, and king. Ultimate prophet, priest, and king. The anointed one. There were many who were anointed in the roles, but He is the, quotation, anointed Luke speaks of this anointing over in chapter 10 of the book of Acts how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. How he went about doing good and healing all those who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Now back to the river Jordan. Not long after Jesus' anointing at his baptism several days later he's asked to read the scripture in the synagogue of his hometown. He goes back home in Nazareth And as he does so, he turns to Isaiah 61. And he begins to read. And here's what he reads. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me. He reads the rest of the text. He finishes it. Closes it up. He says, today, this Scripture has been fulfilled in your midst. The Messiah, the Anointed One, the ultimate prophet, priest, and king is now here and from that point on. We see Jesus perfectly fulfilling the role of the Anointed One through the ministries of prophet, priest, and king. First of all, prophet. Jesus referred to Himself as a prophet when He said a prophet is not without honor except in His hometown. When He entered Jerusalem at the end of His ministry, the people proclaimed, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. And in the book of Acts, both Peter and Stephen in their sermons refer to Jesus as the ultimate prophet that Moses promised, that Moses prophesied about and said, you must listen to Him or you will be cut off. You must listen to Him, this prophet, or you cannot be saved. Although Jesus never called Himself a priest, He started His ministry like a priest. What do priests do? They pronounce blessings. How did Jesus start His ministry? Blessed are those. Blessed are those. Blessed are those. That's just like an ironic priest. That's how he started his ministry. We can see it all the way through, but probably the, the greatest evidence of his priesthood in the Bible is the whole book of Hebrews. One whole book in the Bible is dedicated to revealing Jesus as the ultimate high priest. At the end of uh, Hebrews, it says this, since we have, speaking of Jesus, such a great high priest, over the house of god what should be our response let's draw near to him then let's draw near to him jesus um, also referred to himself as a king matthew 28 what did he say all authority all not some not partial all authority in heaven and earth has been what given to me i would say that pretty much says he's a king All authority in heaven and earth. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes Jesus is such a king that he has the name above every other name. At the end of Revelation, on Christ's robe and on his thigh is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. During his earthly ministry, you have to know that he never, never removed his kingly crown, he never took off his priestly robes, he never ceased to speak forth the prophetic word of the Lord. As a prophet, he proclaimed the light of the Gospel to those in darkness. As a priest, he cleansed sin. As a king, he drove out demons. Over and over and over again, Jesus reveals Himself as prophet, priest, and king in many obvious ways, but also many not so obvious and inconspicuous ways. Let me give you one. There's all kinds of examples, but just let me give you one. In Matthew chapter 12, summary. He says to the Pharisees, Jonah preached repentance, And Nineveh repented. But you do not repent even though someone greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is the prophet greater than Jonah. Earlier in the chapter, he says, I tell you somebody greater than the temple. And by association, the priesthood is here. Jesus is that greater priest and the ultimate temple of God. Then, in the last part of the chapter, he says, The Queen of Sheba came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of King Solomon. But you do not listen, even though someone greater than Solomon is standing right here. Jesus is that greater king, the greater prophet, the greater priest, the greater king. Now, we see this trifecta all the way through the gospel accounts of Jesus' ministry. But you know where we see it the most? We see it in the cross. The cross is the place where Jesus, our high priest, becomes our Passover lamb, a substitute who receives the judgment for our sins so that we could be forgiven and cleansed. What a priest. No wonder he's called the great high priest. The cross is the place where King Jesus triumphed over principalities and powers and conquered death, hell, and the grave, First John tells us, the Son of God was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. And He did that in His kingly ministry. The cross is also the place where the ultimate prophet has proclaimed the Word of God. It is finished. And you know what it says in the Greek? It is finished now with the results. It goes on being finished forever. The ultimate Word from God. Salvation is accomplished. So throughout the New Testament Jesus is referred to. Prophet, priest, and king. But there's one place that all three of them come together and that's in Hebrews 1. And I had you turn there earlier. Let's read it. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom also He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. And after He provided purification for us, sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Now it doesn't say here, Jesus is the prophet, Jesus is the priest, Jesus is the king, but it says it. In times past, God spoke through, to us through the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son, the ultimate prophet with the ultimate message, the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus is God's first word and final word. He's also, also the ultimate priest, for the text says he provided purification our sins. That's what a priest does. And it also says, after He provided purification for our sins through the cross, that He did what? He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty in heaven. That's what a king does. A king sits down on His throne. Here you have it again. Prophet, priest, and king. We have the fulfillment of all three offices in one person just like God promised. Now, furthermore, He fulfills them uniquely unlike any other former prophet, priest, or king. say, what do you mean? Well, firstly, he is the ultimate prophet who not only reveals the Father's truth, but is that truth himself. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. He is the truth. Let me say it another way. As a prophet, Jesus reveals the word of the Lord But He also is what? The Word of the Lord. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was made flesh and made His dwelling among us. Jesus Christ. Secondly, He's the ultimate priest. In that not only He made the final sacrifice for our sins, but He Himself is the final sacrifice for us. He's not only the priest, He's the offering. He's the faithful High Priest who not only offers a Lamb, but Himself is the Lamb of God who died and rose again and lives forevermore. Hebrews says to make intercession for us as our great High Priest. Hebrews 4.14 Thirdly, He's our ultimate King who not only rules over us by His Word and Spirit, He not only rules over He serves us and calls us to join Him in serving others. He is like no other King. He is... The humble servant king. He uniquely fulfills all three offices. And in that we see the beauty of Jesus. What other king is like that? What other priest would do that? What other prophet is the word he speaks? He's unique. He's beautiful. He's wonderful. He reveals the truth. He is the truth. He offers the sacrifice. He is the sacrifice. He's the ultimate king. He serves. He's the prophet who brings the word. He is the word himself, the living word. He's the priest who offers the sacrifice for sin, and he himself is that sacrifice. He is the king who rules over us, but gives his life for us. What kind of king does that? What we need to see from all this is is how valuable Jesus is, how worthy he is. How beautiful He is. I think we sang about this this morning. He's not only the one who provides us with the gift of salvation. He is the gift Himself. Let me say it another way. Most believers know we get Jesus to receive salvation. But even more, we receive salvation to get Jesus. He's the prize, not the salvation. Sometimes you think, people, Jesus is a means to an end. I got my salvation. I'm going to heaven. That's a byproduct of getting Jesus. Jesus is the goal. Your salvation won't light up heaven. Jesus will. Jesus is the end. He's not a means to an end. He is the end Himself, He is both the Alpha and the Omega. As great as the gift of salvation is, Jesus is much greater. He's greater than even the gift He bears. He is, He is the pearl of great price. He is the treasure that is hidden in the field that is worth everything to obtain. He's the ultimate prophet, He's the ultimate priest. And ultimate king. You know what? He is going to be that forever. He was prior to the incarnation, he was at the incarnation, and he will be and is following the ascension. The prophet who's called in Revelation the faithful witness, the priest who is called the worthy lamb that was slain, and the king who is called the king of kings and the lord of lords, all from the book of Revelation. Now, why did God do this? Why did He set this whole thing up? This whole prophet, priest, and king thing? From the very beginning. Why? Well, one way to understand it, that is to think about what we need. We need a lot of things, but the greatest among them is to be rescued from sin. Sin makes us unclean and unfit to come before the presence of a God that's holy. And so we need Christ the priest to cleanse us from all sin. He does. Sin enslaves us to the evil one, so we need Christ the King to free us from slavery to sin and Satan. But sin also blinds us and makes us unable to see the truth of the Gospel. So we need Christ the prophet to speak the Word and heal our blindness that we may believe the Gospel. Be saved so that we can see and behold the glory of God. Our ignorance requires a prophet to speak truth to us. Our alienation from God requires a priest to present us acceptable to God. Our captivity to sin requires a king to rescue and deliver and free us. We need Christ, the prophet, priest, and king. And here's one more thing. We need prophet, priest, and king in Christ equally. What do I mean by that? We don't need one more than the other. We don't need a priest, but not a prophet or a king. We don't need a king, but not a prophet or a priest. And yet, that's sometimes what you see in believers' lives. And even when we examine our own lives, sometimes we are kind of heavy on one and light on the other. Let me give you a couple examples, all right? Here we go. It is not uncommon to come across a person who says, when I was young, I made a decision for Christ but I don't go to church anymore. I don't live the way that I I used to live, and I've got my own ideas now about things that are a bit different than how I was raised, but but generally I feel I am living the life that God wants me to live, and I, I believe He's still there for me. Now that's a person who accepts Jesus as priest, who forgives, but rejects Him As the prophet who speaks truth into their life and rejects them as the king who calls for obedience. That person is saying, you know what? I really don't want him interrupting my life with truth that causes me to have to change. I want to live by my own truth. I don't want him ruling over my life. I want to be my own king. But when I need him, I'll take him as my priest. The problem with that, of course, is you can't have a third of a Messiah. A third of a Messiah cannot save. This prophet, this king, this priest is one and the same Messiah. You cannot choose one part of them. But my question is why would anybody want a Savior? who will not speak the truth to them to free them from deception. What kind of Savior looks down and says, ah, they're deceived. Whatever. I don't care. That's no Savior. That's not love. Why would anybody want a Savior like that? Why would anybody follow a God who withholds truth? Isn't that what Satan accused God of in the Garden of Eden? God knows in the day you eat of it, you'll be like Him. And why wouldn't you want a king who loves you so much that at an infinite cost to himself, he laid down his life for you? I don't know about you, but that kind of king is very attractive to me. I want to follow that king. I want to honor that king. I want to be loyal to that king. See, that honor and loyalty and love and obedience flows out of the graciousness of that king to lay down his life for you. Who wouldn't want that? The point of it is, is if you embrace a partial Messiah, you end up with a counterfeit Messiah, which is a counterfeit Christianity. We need Jesus equally. As prophet priest and King now second example same thing is true or same thing happens to a believer who who emphasizes Jesus as priest over Jesus as prophet and King in other words they emphasize grace over truth usually they come from very moral backgrounds in church, and they're, but the problem is they're drowning in legalism. Which sets them up on a tee to be easily deceived when they first hear a distorted message about God's grace. They come away with the belief. I mean, because they're like a dry sponge. They hear anything with grace in it and they take it hook, line, and sinker. And so they come away from that distorted teaching on grace that God has so abounded towards us in grace that He no longer cares much about sin or about obedience. And to that, Paul says in Romans, shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means! Exclamation point. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Now the problem... With this person is, they're not truly following Christ because you can't follow one of his anointings. You can't follow the priest who forgives without following the prophet who speaks truth to you or without following the king that calls you to loyalty and obedience. One more example. It's the opposite, though. A believer who emphasizes prophet-king over priest or truth over grace some groups of christians embrace jesus as a king who rules over us and a prophet who speaks truth to us but their understanding him of him as priest is is very undeveloped their understanding of him as the priest who forgives heals restores sinners is very weak and the result is A very, very passionate believer. But a very legalistic believer. And not the legalism that has to do with clothes or makeup or hair. But the legalism that subtly looks down on others who are not as passionate or obedient. They don't understand. Why don't they get it? Very committed, they are, very obedient. But they look down on others who are not. They mean well, but they're more likely to hit you over the head with truth instead of gently applying the balm of truth to soften your heart. They speak the truth, but not in love, and here's why. They are unaware of the depth of their own sin. They think sin is just outward things, things you do or say. Instead of hidden things in the heart, attitudes in the heart, thinking in the heart. Jesus said that, that's where sin comes out of. That's the thing that corrupts us. They don't see that. And in the outward things, they kind of got a handle on all that. They're doing okay there, right? They're unaware of the depth of their own sin. Therefore, they have an undeveloped relationship with Jesus as priest and therefore have very little grace with other people. They don't go, they don't mourn their sin very often because they just don't see it. They exalt Jesus as king, they listen to him as prophet, but (laughs) seldom do they truly humble themselves before the priest, they just don't see it. But eventually, life has a way of showing you things. And when they do see their heart sins, when they do see I am the prodigal's elder brother in living color. (laughs) What can happen if they don't see it and repent right then and start relearning? What can happen is all that self-righteousness turns into self-loathing. And without the revelation of Jesus as priest, they become spiritually paralyzed, They just dry up, they lose their joy, they lose their passion. They end up just going through the motions out of guilt or obligation. And some, if they don't detect their pride, last for years that way. But eventually, they fade away without an intervention of grace from the great high priest. Now, the point of all these examples is that these offices, prophet, priest, and king, were designed by God to reveal Jesus and what He has done for us through the Gospel. And if you get one of them wrong, you end up with a distortion of Jesus that will keep you from being saved or will hinder your ability as a believer to joyfully follow after the Lord. We need all three. Prophet, priest, and king. Take Him today as your prophet, priest, and Take Him today as the anointed one in your life. This is really important, and here's why, and I'll, I'll come to a close. Every year, millions of people are bailing on the church, and many of them are leaving Christianity. But I'm not convinced that they're actually rejecting Jesus or the gospel. I, know, I don't think many of them, to be honest with you, have really ever known Jesus. This is a huge problem in the body of Christ. I don't think any of them have actually seriously considered and believed and internalized the gospel. They've known Christianity. They've known about the Christian life. They've known religion. But they really don't know the gospel. They haven't really personally internalized the love of God revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've heard sermons about personal morality, social issues, marriage and family, money management, but they've never personally internalized the Gospel. They know what the Bible says about stress, money management, success, through their pastor's socially relevant sermons. But they don't know the Gospel. They see it as a means of becoming a Christian but not as the endless well of water that continually cleanses and refreshes and enables a life of enjoying and exalting Christ and sharing him with others. They don't see that it's the fuel that makes us go. Years ago, I became convinced this was a big problem in the body of Christ, and so I decided as much as I was able to, to center every message around Jesus and the gospel of his kingdom. The biblical paradigm, of prophet, priest, and king is just one more attempt by me to do that for you. When Jesus is your prophet, priest, and king, you stop looking to other things for happiness and satisfaction. You stop looking out there or back there or over there. Instead, you fix your eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2, the author and the finisher of your faith. He is the prophet who reveals the truth that brings you freedom You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. John 8. He is the priest who offers His own life to cleanse and redeem us and continually cleanses us. He is the King who leads us by laying down His life for us. And we owe Him everything. Therefore, my admonition, listen to Christ, our prophet. Who has revealed the truth of the gospel to us and the truth about everything? Find your rest in the finished work of Christ, our great High Priest, who has made a way for us to confidently come before the throne of grace. Do not neglect prayer. Look at what He's paid the price, so you have access. Think about what the blood that was shed for that access. Don't waste the blood. Don't waste the sacrifice. That's how you deal with prayerlessness. Think about how much he did and paid. Think about the sacrifice for you. And let's find our hope in Christ the King, who will one day make all things right and will rule and reign in a perfect kingdom in a new heaven and new earth. That's our hope. That's what we have to look forward to. Christ the King, Christ the Priest, Christ the prophet forever and ever. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Before we go, don't leave yet. Pastor, when you were talking about those examples, you were kind of pushing on me a little bit. I kind of identified with one of those. I kind of saw where maybe I was elevating grace over truth. I was taking the priest more than I was the prophet and the king. Today, I want to embrace Him wholly. I want to recommit to Him, to all of Him, to the Anointed One. On the other hand, maybe you were one of those who says, you know, when you were talking about those that take Him as king and prophet, but not so much as priest. I see myself a little bit in that. I see that in me. I see myself saying things like, why can't they just follow Jesus? I see that subtle downward gaze to others who are struggling or who are blinded by the world. And instead of pouring out my heart in intercession for them, I judge them. Today I need, I need to realign myself with the priest. I need to have that compassion in my life for people that are blinded or that they don't get it. It's not clicking with them. It may be because of their own sin or just because of, of the world. But I'm not going to look down on them. I'm going to lift them up from now on. maybe you've never believed at all and you just heard an explanation of the gospel clearly and in your heart there's something that says I need that I don't get it all I didn't understand everything he said but I know I know I need that I like to lead you in a confession to say to God I receive Jesus I need that I need Jesus to that Jesus that you're talking about let's confess together for many of you this is going to be the beginning for many of you it's a reaffirmation I believe in Jesus Christ that he died on the cross for my sin that He rose again to make me right with God. I'm a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ. I receive Him as the ultimate prophet, the ultimate High Priest, the ultimate King of my life. In His name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. If you like prayer this morning, we're going to be up here at the front after the service for a few minutes. If you can hang out for some fellowship, meet somebody new, please do so. If not, safe travels. We'll see you next week.